guys, what's up? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats number 58 or Brainstorm Aristobrew number two. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Gathering Magic and CoolStuffInc.com, who have provided us with gift certificates to give away. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more, a 25% buy list bonus, and their ever popular customer rewards program, CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. We're joined this week with an old guest, a uh, another member of the MTG Finance community and writing for basically everybody at this point, uh, Jason Alt. Uh, he can be found from everywhere from EDA Trek to Gathering Magic, Brainstorm Brewery to uh, Money Drut. And we're happy to have him on this week. Um, Travis you did that on purpose. You smirked when you what? did that. When you yeah, Travis. His money droughted. Yeah. Uh, Travis could not be on this week, so we got a better person to replace him. Uh, better have one curmudgeon than the other, I guess. Uh, GP Vegas is coming up, so we're going to hit a couple of um, viewer questions real quick, and then we'll get into the meat of the week as far as what's going on with all the announcements next week. Um, first off, a lot of you guys asked, what are the best vendors to sell to at GP Vegas going to be? Uh, obviously, all of us have connections with some of the people that will be working in the booths this weekend. Um, so real quick, if you just want to sort of say that what the top three vendors are for A, uh, cheapest prices, like best trading credit, and then like uh, best customer service or something. Just for our, a lot of our listeners that message just about GP Vegas. Ed, if you want to start. Um, the list is pretty long. I've done business with every single vendor. Uh for the most part, the vendors I go straight to. Uh, I usually start with cool stuff, mainly because they take a variety of cards. Like, I literally take everything. It's the Ogre Box that uh, I usually shop around. They've taken a fair bit of it at my numbers, and then they'll offer almost everything. Um, so they're kind of a good catch-all. Uh, if I want, if I'm trying to target something specific. Uh, Star City is actually not bad, awkwardly enough. Uh, I like their credit bump. Uh, between their credit bump and being able to raid the heavy played cases, you can usually find a pretty good deal on things. Uh, and is the Star heavy City played... vending Vegas? They are. They are. They will have a booth there. Okay. Which is, yeah. They're, like Here, let me share a list of vendor links with you guys so you can look at it and not sound like you don't know what you're talking about. Huh. I did whoa, not whoa, see the name on there. What are you doing? You, is this like more work than you do for Brainstorm Brewery? This is literally more work <laughs> than I do for Brainstorm Brewery. All right, Jason. I'm surprised. What are, your, what are your top three uh, vendors for this weekend? Okay, so I'm going to be sneaky about this because everyone's going to be like, hey, it's great to sell to, to Hararuya. Our friends Ryan Bouchard and uh, Douglas Johnson are buying for Hararuya. They get good prices. You know, uh, Star City, I, I love that uh, call with the plate case. There's great stuff in the plate. There's like beat up duels in the plate case. And he's like, here's a pile of standard crap. And they're like, all right, extra 20%, 25% trade-in bonus towards stuff that's marked way down more than your trade partners will mark it down. Uh, that's a good call. But I, I kind of think that uh, some of the, the overlooked dealers might have shorter lines and therefore the play. Uh, I still have a good relationship with Strike Zone, and I think that recently that Strike Zone used to be like the number one place to sell, and now I, I think that's not the case as much anymore. So I think that's the case again because I think their line's going to be a little bit shorter. 
Uh, it used to be you had to make an appointment to sit down with Strike Zone, basically, and now I think you'll just be able to 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 walk up and 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 sell. So I think uh, I think they're still probably paying okay, and I think uh, their line's going to be shorter than it used to be in years past. So that uh, that's probably my number one like insider pick. Um, I really like dealing with MTG deals. Uh, I think they don't always pay the best, but sometimes they pay really well relative to how they charge the least for everything. So that's a place if you're going for trade credit. Uh, I like MTG, MTG deals a lot because all their stuff is so cheap. So if you're trying to pick stuff up to you know, stock a case, if someone gave you a list of cards they want you to bring back from Vegas, if you want stuff for your own personal stash, uh, I really like picking up stuff cheap from deals. So trading them and uh, getting a trade-in bonus is um, is a good uh, play. And uh, I like that Moose Loot is coming up in the world. So that's my number three uh, insider pick. I think uh, Bernie Makino's treated me very fairly every time I've dealt with them, and uh, it's good to see them uh, vending a big event like this. So, I mean, the big obvious ones with the huge lines – those are great places to buy and sell, but I think some of the shorter lines where you can just like sit down and deal with somebody, um, there's ways to get a good deal dealing with them, and I think you should probably consider that because it's just miserable to stand there with all your boxes and your heavy bag just like waiting for somebody with 45 long boxes to deal with uh, a vendor and when you can just go sit down with somebody right away. So those are my picks. Jim? Uh, personally, I have like different vendors that I go to generally depending on what I'm looking to do. Um, if I'm looking to buy cards, especially like competitive staples or uh, foils, I generally go to Hararia. They only deal with cash, which is problematic if you have a card, but they're generally cheaper to buy than most of the other things in the room. And they're usually pretty good with their sell prices on or on their buy prices on competitive cards. Um, if you have like dual lands, for example, that'd be a pretty good place to go shop them. But if you have like doubling seasons, you might not get the best price from them. They're more uh, slanted towards competitive cards. Uh, it's also a place that I go to if I want to buy an expedition or an invention or whatever, a masterpiece series card. Those prices there are generally the lowest. Um, and then my second favorite, well, I, I don't know if I want to rank them in order, but like the generally the other booth that I go to is Cool Stuff. I'm a little biased because Cool Stuff is also my local game store, so uh, if I sell stuff to them at the event and then I take store credit home with me, it works at my local game store. Um, a lot of people don't know or maybe haven't gone on their website, but they also do sell board games at pretty much close to Amazon price. So if you wanted to turn uh, Magic Cards into board games, for instance, instead of just other magic cards. Um, that's one of the better places to go uh, to trade your cards in. And then past that, um, I just like to browse the uh, the buy boards. I, I know that I, I, I'm probably going to get shit for this, but Troll and Toad is also sometimes okay if you Kill go yourself. To... Whoa, whoa, time out. <laughs> to buy cards from. To buy cards from. So, there's their... They usually have like a... a cash only case which i think is like the personal collection cards of the people that are working there i have bought that entire case before yeah like sometimes they just have stuff mispriced in there because they just want don't want it and you can sometimes find like really cheap things in there for no fucking reason 
Uh, it's like a less glorious version of the uh, Star City heavily played case. Um, it's usually weird. It's like not... it's, a, it's a misdirection from Arcadian Masks, but it's Spanish, and they're charging like sixty percent of English retail. Yeah, it, it's stuff like that. Like I bought, um, I bought a Manor Crypt from them for like. 60% of what it was costing in every other booth just because it was like they're weird like they just didn't want to take it home or something I don't, I don't really know why it was so cheap but it was and I bought it and it wasn't fake so I really don't know what else to tell you um, but you know what that is a lot of the time that like you said it's uh, the guys who work there it's their personal stuff and as a perk they get to out their own personal stuff out of that case and sometimes you know troll and toe would never sell this for this cheap but I need the money yeah, Troll and Toad pays me very poorly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, they just do everything very poorly. I would never order cards from Troll and Toad online, by the way. They are notorious for the one card, no sleeve, no top loader in an envelope. Good luck. If it gets to you, sweet. If it doesn't, uh... That's and why uh, we... selling to them has become increasingly miserable every year. It used to be okay. I Like, when you would sit yeah. down with uh, Andy Stokinger and, like... That was or Jeremy that like that was fine, but then it just it seemed to get worse every year. I refuse to do business with Troll and Toad, so I'm never gonna recommend them to go anywhere because of just how poorly their shipping thing is. Also, I thought, but this may not be the case, that the buyers sell to Troll and Toad after they buy it a GP, and that's why they had to pay lower. I don't know if they run their system like that anymore. That was uh, that way for a while, so they were paying like super low because they're like, I have to the number on this card is uh, like 14 bucks that Troll and Toad gives me and everybody, every other dealers in, in the room is paying 13, but they're yeah. going to pay me 14. So I have to try to buy it 10. And I'm just like, nah, um, just pay your employees. I would recommend tales of adventure, but if you did your homework, you'd see that they're going, that they're listed as going to GP Vegas, but they're not going to be there actually. Uh, they won't have a booth. I don't know if, who's taking over it or not, but I confirmed that like yesterday. Because I love selling ogre boxes to them. Because I generally just give them the whole box and I never see it back. Um, I re I would recommend Moose Loot. Really big fan of what Bernie's doing. I think my plan is going to be Friday night when he runs out of money to go up and offer him like twenty percent below listed price on a bunch of stuff. And since he needs the cash, he'll probably take it. Uh, that's like a good thing to do in general for this GP. I think if people are going to start running out of money Friday night or Saturday morning, if you want to get a big purchase in is to just like all, like you can already offer below on stuff like niche foils and uh, especially foreign cards. But I think I'm going to see what I can finagle with some of these guys when they start running low on cash. Cause Las Vegas, like ogre and a bunch of other people were just running out of cash like crazy. And you could score some real good deals that way. Um, so that's just my opinion. I really like cool stuff and MTG deals third because cool stuff, you know exactly what they're paying stuff. You know that they're paying Shadowborn Apostles. They're paying a dollar in Shadowborn Apostles this week, which Doug is selling a bunch of them to because it's like higher than what he was getting ogred at 75 cents or whatever he had him in his ogre box for. Um, and I really like uh, deals because you can get their hot list ahead of time and you can see that they're paying like $2 on Minecranks. And then you just bring all your mind cranks and not sell them for 250 out of the case. Stuff like that. So if you just ask some of these guys for their hot list a couple of days ahead of the GP, if you're bringing a substantial amount of stuff, like they'll be fine with it. 
So that's what I recommend is reaching out to deals or any of the vendors for their hot list or just checking on like cool stuff's buy prices before you leave. So those are the vendors I like. Anything to add to that? If anyone is going to go, if, you, if you're looking to get money, I would advise going sooner rather than later. Uh, like vendors will run out of money, especially like you have a lot of people who save up like their pretty large collections. They make Vegas like their one Grand Prix of the year or whatever. So people are fast. Um, that come through um like there's plenty of collections that are like upwards of like 50k that come through that i've seen uh so money gets spent very fast um if you want money do it early otherwise like a lot of vendors will start dealing in credit for like the end of the weekend and like jeremy said if you have your eye on like a specific foil that's not super common that's like slow to move because it's a weird one like a japanese foil or something Usually you can start to offer around Friday or Saturday and most vendors will probably bite mainly because the cash flow starts to get a little uh, hindered towards the end. And um, as another note about vendors, Ed will probably be circling around the Tokyo MTG booth this weekend. We know Doug will be at the Haruya booth. If you take a selfie with any member of this cast, both Ed, myself, and two others are donating to charity for each selfie. Uh, we just don't can't promise that if you get a selfie with Jim, it won't break your phone's camera. But uh, I'm already, I already have to donate over $300 to charity because of what I'd started. So if you see us in Vegas, uh, say hi. We should be doing a cast meeting Saturday afternoon on site. Anyone wants to stop by, we'll tweet it out. So yeah, I rem we did that two years ago and we popped like Japanese packs of Modern Masters 2 and had like the worst box ever with uh, Chaz, Andres, and some other guys. But the whole cast will be in one place Saturday afternoon, but if you see us at all at Vegas, just feel free to say hi. Um, other than that, I think that's all for Vegas, right? Any Anything else you guys want to touch on before we move on? Uh, did you guys yeah, talk about how DJ is getting married on Friday? What, well, we already talked about that when he was on the cast last week. Yeah, I just think that's worth mentioning again because what is he doing? He's so low-key. He's just like, hey, I can't wait to work for this vendor. Oh, and I'm getting married. Oh, yada, 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 marriage. Yeah, well, good yep. for him. Uh, yeah, good for him. Uh, he bought his engagement ring with a uh, with a bonus he got because I uh, got him a gig. So I feel personally responsible if this marriage does not go well. Because I got married at a Taco Bell in Vegas, then uh, I bear some personal responsibility for it. It's not a Taco Bell. You must have received the wrong wedding invitation. No, just that he was talking about doing that for a while. Do you not remember yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. No, I know. I thought it was actually at Taco Bell until last week, and then he said it wasn't, and that would have <laughs> been awkward. Uh, Corbin would have fit right in in his uh, cargo shorts, though. That would have been like the perfect uh, wedding for him. He's got his Buffalo Wild Wings shirt on, flip-flops, and cargo shorts. Um, so next week, while we're all at Vegas, Mark Rosewater says that we're going to get five days of announcements. Uh, what do you guys think that these are going to be as far as, like, are we getting the return of core sets? Is the reserve list going away? Stuff like that. Uh, they're they're going to bring back core sets. They're going to cancel the planned MMO already. That was fine. They're going to tell us the four... Five color tribes for Commander 2017, 
and they're going to announce that they've uh, got on their knees and begged Helene Bergio to come back. That's, That's the my- best set of announcements I think we can expect out of those. I think we get Frontier 2.0. They announce that Standard is now less sets with a faster rotation, that we get core sets back, and Magic Online will be ending Redemption after Hour of Devastation. Those are my Whoa. guesses. Ending Redemption forever? Yeah, I think they're done with Redemption at, Redemption after Hour of Devastation. Wow, that would that would be hellaciously financially relevant for me to be in Vegas and not inclined to write an article. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I think that they're scaling down Magic Online. And I feel real bad for Card Hoarder because they just finished Isle of Cards. If you've kept up on the news, guys, they're closing their paper market down to move to online only. And I think online's about to get a big smack next week. Uh, so I'd just be wary because I think Wizards wants to line their pockets even more. And if you cut off that option, uh, that means people either have to buy more packs or spend more online. Uh, now the online prices go down, so we could see a move to a subscription-based model with Magic Next, Digital Next, or whatever. But I think we're done with Redemption after Hour of Devastation. Ed, any thoughts? Uh, the one that I find most interesting is the one play. Uh, I believe this is the day where they will release the full schedule for Grand Prix and Pro Tours next year. Uh, this is particularly relevant to me. There's going to be a lot of buzz. Um, with other vendors, can, uh, once you have the full schedule, it's going to be, oh, the House Channel Fireball is going to go forward and proceed with this. Uh, are we going to see a lot of like the double headers and triple headers that we've seen this past year, like with uh, Omaha, Amsterdam, and uh, Manila this past week? Obviously, because like a, a double header is feasible, you can split your team and go two different places and bend two different continents. Once you get to three, then it becomes a little hard. Um, comes down to like what's the price point, what's the global package going to look like if we sign up for every Grand Prix. Um, once that schedule, once that schedules out, that's probably going to shape kind of how I plan, uh, like what we do with Magic and the cons we have uh, going forward in 2018. Uh, so that's actually the one I look forward to the most. Interesting uh, announcement that's happening Tuesday. Uh, questions on the people message me about it. I don't think it's going to be anything too crazy. I think the ban restricted uh, announcement is going to actually be pretty tame. I do think Aetherworks Marvel might get the axe, though. Um, I, I think if we have Marvel for another, like, five months of Standard until September or so, I think people might just stop playing Standard entirely. So I think Wizards probably wants to nip that in the bud. Um, but those are like... Maybe they'll good- just unban everything that they've banned. Who knows? Who knows? Or uh, I think there might be some, regarding the timing, I think on Monday when they said that they were going to talk about the uh, changing in sets first, uh, that might also maybe put a wrench in how they uh, how the standard cycle plays out. So I think like the first three days are going to be the most exciting ones. Obviously, like the Hour Destination previews or like just whatever. But uh, it, it, it's kind of, it's all these major policy changes that's going to kind of shape what Magic looks like in like the rest of the year of 2018 that kind of intrigued me the most. Uh, I don't really want to speculate any further. I don't really know what else could be out there except what's already been mentioned. 
Boy, this is real awkward. This is where you benefit for some editing. Yeah, where Jeremy's microphone doesn't work. Is that and... what's going on? Does he not realize he muted himself? Has he been... No, no, he uh, he's not muted. He just it's just not working. Also, I never see him talking. Just no audio. That's like a best case scenario for your listeners. That's the best uh, case scenario for us. Well, I have the same initials as him, so what I'm going to do is go ahead and take over. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about Commander 2017 now. <laughs> Real quickly, oh, I wanted nice. to get your guys' opinion on whether you think it's going to be four or five color tribes. That seems unlikely. You don't you don't think it's likely? You don't think we're gonna get uh slivers, allies, elementals, and dragons? Uh I don't think so. Have you thought about what tribes you think we're getting? Uh I did actually. I have thought about that. Uh I'm pretty sure one of them is going to be Merfolk, because all of the Merfolk commanders are kind of garbage. And that's one of the tribes that could definitely use a How many new colors? commander? How many colors? Blue, black, white? I don't even... I, I, I really only want to say one or two colors. I don't, I don't think that there's enough reason for them to be three. So what would you go... What would you go as your... Uh, the tribe that is going to be the unexpected one? Because that was, that was one of the... Uh, Little tips that like Morrow put in uh, his blog when he when they first dropped it, there was going to be three that were mainstream ish. And we're live with the second part of this podcast. Unfortunately, our audio went down and couldn't be recovered, uh, at least for the last couple minutes. So we're going to try to keep this thing going. Uh, you were talking about Commander Twenty Seventeen, guys. Yeah, we're just speculating a little bit because we don't know what the other three tribes are going to be. I. I'm inclined to say that it's uh, going to be three, five color or four or five color tribes, but that's uh, mixed mana base is really hard to build uh, affordably. But then again, they do have a lot of stuff they need to reprint, like yeah, your I don't, I don't know. relics and things of that nature. Yeah, I, I feel like that's like either coalition relic or chromatic lantern is going to be in the dragons deck again, and then I don't really know what they're going to do with the other decks. I thought I think Merfolk might be one, but that's that's about as far as I'm willing to uh, speculate. Maybe the wacky one is going to be uh, artifacts, and people finally like get that. It's going to be like Hammerid tri uh, tribal, and like one person's going to be happy. <laughs> thalids. Yeah, or Thalids. Those also suck. I think everything in Thalids has been reprinted to a point where it's not even financially viable to buy that deck. They isn't, have a lot of Havenwood. Foil. Yeah, isn't, the, isn't the like the legendary green black like rando guy that makes salads or whatever? I think that was his name. Thalon of Havenwood? Yeah. He is like 39 cents. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there are uncommons in that deck worth more than him. Like Utopia Micon is like two bucks and he's like forty cents. There's also, like, you could do a tribe like Goblins and hit Kranko again back down to a dollar, and then he's going to go back up again. There's a lot of good Goblin stuff they could get a reprint. Kranko's just like dumb. Goblin. They'll, they'll probably have to ban Paradox Engine yeah. if they get a bunch of people playing Kranko all of a sudden. Fan of um, Goblin Settler getting a reprint finally. That would be one that would be, like, real nice. 
that's that forty dollar nineteen ninety nine starter deck uncommon. Yeah, but I kind of think they can't jam a forty dollar retail card in there. I kind of think if something gets above like twenty bucks, they sort of abandon it. Which is why, like, when they didn't print Phyrexian Altar in the Marin deck, like they probably should have, it, it like spiked to thirty for a while and kind of hung out there. I kind of think there are some cards that, if they're not in Commander twenty seventeen. They're so good in tribal decks. I think they're just going to be $30 cards, and then they're pretty boned. I don't know how they reprint something like that. Like, I've been talking about Patriarch's Bidding all week. I think if Patriarch's Bidding isn't in one of the tribal decks, then everyone's going to be like, wow, this card's really good. And uh, you probably don't even put it in those decks because it's so terrible when everybody at the table has a tribal deck. But, like, not everyone plays tribal when you hang out and play EDH. So I kind of think since they build those decks meant to be played against each other. Um, they're not going to include something like Patriarch's Bidding, which means it probably just shoots up because everyone's trying to jam it in their new tribal deck they just built. So I don't I don't think you can put Goblin Seller in I don't think you can put a $40 card in a $40 product. Like, it will bring the price down, but, like, in the meantime, I think that's just too disruptive. They've never really... There's no precedent for them doing something like that. Well, didn't they just reprint a $40 card in a $150 sealed product? I don't know about you, but we sold out of Commander Anthologies on the first day. Out of all of our single Commanders and out of all the sealed ones. There was real demand for that. Yeah, I was I was surprised, especially with people saying that their cards are all dinged up when they open it. But yeah, it was super popular my LGS also. I think 150 bucks sounds like an insane price point, but like... It's actually kind of not, because when Commander 2016 came out, everyone spent about that much buying one of each deck, if, if they could even get the uh, Braid Lethality. So, I, yeah. But I, I mean, that was, that was them just reprinting a card that was already in a Commander deck. It wasn't a card that had never been in a Commander deck. That was something that got expensive because it was only in Commander. Yeah, I took the spin-down dice from our opened ones and sold them all on the first day, too. Like, people oh. did... People were like, hey, how much do you buy these spin-down dice for? And I was like, you know, 15 or 20 bucks for your four. And then I put them on the case, and they sold right away because the old ones from Commander, Antholo Commander Anthologies, whatever that thing was called, Commander's Arsenal. Yeah, Commander's Arsenal, yeah. yeah. Those were like 20 bucks. So if you put them in the case for like anywhere between 5 and 10, it's like an automatic free sale. If you find in a collection, you should just either put on your local shop or like try to sell to a vendor at a Grand Prix because those things are real easy to sell. And there's uh, four of them this time around. It's just, yeah, and they have different colors on the sides too. Uh, there's like these little indentations of the colored deck that they came with. One of them is blue, one of them is black. I forgot what the other two look like because they sold so fast. But that's something that you guys should keep in mind when you're uh, buying collections off Craigslist and hopefully not getting murdered. So... I don't know. I'm a really big fan of the foiling process on the commanders, but it is the first time some of these have been foiled. So I guess cube players are going to go after like the foil frailies, for example, because that's he's playing cube. That's the only foil you can get. Uh, Jim, do you want to talk about who won this week's cool stuff credit? Sure. Uh, so if you posted last week on our Facebook page, uh, you would know that the giveaway was on Facebook. Probably not. I don't know why I said that. I was going somewhere and I got lost along the way. Anyway, this week's winner is uh, Ural Pal. 
E-R-R-O-L-P-A-L. Uh, I hope that's the person's real name, and I'm sorry that I butchered it if that's incorrect. But uh, please send me a message either on the Cartel Aristocrats Facebook page or the Twitter account, and I will hook you up with your sweet $25 worth of store credit. If you want to win your store credit next week, you have to post a question on the Gathering Magic post that will probably be up on Tuesday, yeah. uh, assuming that Jeremy has some time tomorrow to take the first half of the cast and the second half of the cast and uh, glue them back together. Yeah, I don't know. I'll be in Vegas in about six hours, so it's going to be real close. Um, but yeah, what, what was this question, Jim, that we should answer? Uh, his question is, is it just me, or is Giddy of the Trials at 8 to $10 a slam dunk for a double up within six months? No way that's not a 20 plus dollar card, right? Uh, Ed already kind of answered it, but um, I want to just also give my opinion on the situation. Uh, I think this card is not very good, and I don't think it is a $20 card, especially in a set that has masterpieces. Um, like, we saw Gideon Alley of Zendikar be about $20 for, like, almost its entire lifetime, and it was the most dominant Planeswalker in Standard for two years. Uh, this card is probably not that, so it's probably not that expensive. Any thoughts on that, Jason? No, I kind of feel similarly to Jim. I was, I saw that question earlier, and I was trying to think of something that one of you wouldn't say, but I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm not super excited. I, th I think it's one of those things where, like, there's a, there's definitely a point where the cost is so low it doesn't matter that you can probably, like, just break even with it. It's probably a little bit lower than the eight to ten. On I think on the, I briefly touched on the question. I think like. Five, Five dollars is is the point I want to buy in at. So, uh, I I think it does have potential to see play. Like it, it's not insane, but I think the three man is a sweet spot for planeswalkers. Where at some point somewhere, where like this card will be good. Uh, where and when I'm not sure, but I think at five dollars I'm willing to like buy like you know fifty copies or whatever just sit on them. And if if, if assuming nothing happens in rotation and the, the Lifespan of the card is still two years. Like that's a small game. I'm willing to take. Do we lose Jeremy again? Uh, he's uh, just staring at us. Unless he's frozen. Yep, it looks like Jeremy is once again dead. Oh, oh! I wonder if we're not here. Second, no, we're still alive. Back. Yeah, no, you're still good. Google Hangouts just doesn't like me today. I was gonna say, like, this has definitely been so bad that like you can make fun of my connection ever again. Oh, it's not my connection. It's the software keeps crashing. Uh -huh. And it just it goes down on me faster than your mother, so it's just been real bad today. Um Alrighty then. Yeah. You're the only one even smiling at that. You're, like, you're so proud of yourself. <laughs> yep. I'm not a comedian like you. I'm sorry. I just, I just make sure. No one's a on comedian like me. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so we have the weekly announcements coming up. We have iconic masters coming up, which zero people know about at this point. Like hopefully they announce something at Vegas. Um, I know that there's like a spoiler for the magic art show for Hour of Devastation on Saturday. 
which is exclusive to the art show. And then, um, like, the whole Nicol Bolas thing coming around with the Planeswalker that was spoiled. I don't know how much else we'll see financially viable in Hour of Devastation. Um, I'm hoping that we get the second part of the Fast... Or, like, the original Fastlands reprint or even the Filterlands reprinted in Hour of Devastation. Um, the Filterlands got the expedition uh, process done to them, but I think... I, like what? What other duels would do you think you would see in Hour of Devastation, besides one of those two? I mean, the filter lane's really probably the rest of the cycling. You think we're gonna get the full cycling set? When's the last time they did that? I just don't think that they're gonna put dual lands in the second set. I just like I don't think they exist, or they will exist. I'm sorry. When are they going to finish the cycling land cycle yeah. then? Never. I don't know. Whenever they feel like it. I think that it has to be like the duels. Like the duels basically provide stability to the value of the set. Like the EV on Amarcat is like pretty much in the dumpster right now. So like it's not great, but like you can always count like, oh, there's duels that will always make, like be a few dollars. And that's like the only kind of surefire thing that is in the set, basically, because no one knows like where the planeswalkers end up. No one knows like what kind of like super swingy mythic like as foretold or something is gonna end up. So who knows? Yeah, but like, what's the last time any set of dual lands that are not played in modern are worth like more than like two or three dollars? Like the battle lands weren't worth anything. The shadow lands weren't worth anything. These Amonkhet ones are not worth anything. The only ones that have been worth anything were the fetch lands in Cons of Tarkir and the fast lands in uh, Kaladesh and only the good ones. Like, some of them are still not worth anything as far, as far as the fast lands are concerned. Like, the red-white one is, like, only a little bit because of standard play. Yeah, that's a good point. Anything else you want to add, Ed? No. I, I, I agree with Jim. Like, again, like, they... Like, nothing is real worth it. Like, Blooming Marsh, obviously, sees play in Modern. Like, Inspiring Vantage, probably the only reason it's worth anything is because of a Modern uh, burn. But, like, yeah, like, it, I think it's very viable that, like, there's no dual ends in the set. But I think, like, lands are kind of, like, one of the more interesting... We can. It's, it's something unique. It's, like, always a cycle that is always there. Um, but, again, like, I guess, in theory, they could just leave the cycle half finished and at some point down the road oh this is a return of like dual cycling lands or whatever bicycle lands whatever people call them so it's possible but who knows i think our devastation is it, it's kind of a weird point because it's like it's very similar to eldritch moon where it's the last set of the full year it's the one that has the shortest lifespan and standard um so it's possible like down the line there might be some interesting like financial implications for that and then let's wrap this up with one more thing. This is primarily geared more towards Jason and Ed than Jim. Uh, someone wants to know if we have reduced the amount that we're paying on bulk mythics and just bulk commons and uncommons in general. Um, the only thing I have to add about this is that Star City upped how much they're paying on bulk, and a lot of vendors have uh, gone the opposite way on mythic rares that they're paying 10 cents on bulk mythic rares now. How do you guys feel about bulk right now in magic? 
Uh, I can't get enough of it because I sell into collections and I sell the rest to people that pay an insane amount when you do something stupid like set sorted or pull out just uncommons and stuff like that. So I uh, I actually like the amount of bulk I'm getting and I it's as hard a time as I have getting enough, I haven't really had to pay more than four bucks per thousand. Um, so for me personally, I think maybe I'm in a different situation, but I, uh, I think bulk's fine. And I think with, uh, even if one vendor pays more than everybody else, you still have a guaranteed out. So you're never going to sit on it. Uh, I certainly liked it a lot more when troll and toad was, uh, paying a ton cause Bouchard and I got enough bulk that they came and got it from us, which was insane. Uh, they'll probably never do that again. Um, so, I don't know. I personally, uh, I think that paying ten cents on a bulk mythic is fine if people will sell it to you for that. Uh, I tell people I'm paying ten bucks for bulk rares, and they just throw mythics in already. So it it, it seems appropriate, I think. Ed, on the flip side, I'm so tired of bulk. We have had so many space issues at the store. Um, I think like a few months back, I, uh, for people who actually watched the YouTube, uh, video, this, I kind of gave a walk through the store. I like, I picked up my Mac and I just walked around the, uh, the lower level of the store and there's just so many cards, so many, so much bulk down there, so much that needs to be processed. Um, and just either like turned into something else, like either like collections, which takes time. Processing, which takes time, uh, selling it to another vendor, which takes time, like etc. Like I, at this point, I just don't want to deal with bulk. Um, if it walks in a store, like I basically will tell people, like pay nothing on it. We have so much of it; it realistically just sits there. If there's something valuable in it right now, that like you know, like any sort of like Keldesh, like an unlicensed disintegration or something, unless it gets gone through right away, which it never does, it just sits there. And by the time someone does get through it, like unlicensed disintegration is basically going to be worth nothing, which is what I'm going to assume is going to be the case once it rotates out standard. So, yeah, you got to really stay on um, top of it to bother with it at all. That's a great point. You, you also make sure that your truck doesn't yeah, like, break down on the side of the road. That's another key point in the bulk buying game. Yeah, yeah. Like, at this point, I value the space more than any potential profit I can make from bulk. Like, that's what it comes down to. Like, space is just such a valuable commodity at our store right now. We just have too much shit laying around everywhere. So, getting, like, you know, like, a 5,000 count is, what, 15 bucks for magic? Like, like anything like anything you can possibly pull out of it to make it worth it is, I would probably, like, rather have $50 less dollars and have the space there available for it. So, that's just my perspective on bulk. Jim? Uh, I mean, I don't really process it very much. It's kind of obnoxious once you've taken out all the good cards to get rid of the true bulk stuff, so I'm not particularly interested in buying it, but I have an LGS that pays for it, so I don't really have the option of buying it from people for the most part. Um, it, some of it's obviously worth buying, like when you have someone that had a collection you know, 10 years ago or whatever, like, like if you, if you pick up a handful of it and you see like cards from like original Ravnica through like Conflux, that's probably worth buying because just there's random commons and uncommons in there that are worth eight to $10 each and you'll be able to sell them all at pretty easily. But you don't want to buy stuff from like anything like return to Ravnica forward. It's just not worth it. 
personally, I've sold through all the Bouchard bulk that I got last year in like four months, but there's a lot more people selling collections lately, which is great. As long as your sales are fine. I think as long as you have strong sales, I don't think it matters how much bulk you're getting in. As long as you're not the last one holding the bag. I think the only downside of bulk is if you have it like in a room where you sleep, it can get smelly because it's like cardboard rotting or if people smoke with those cards. But other than that, I'm happy to pick it up. Anything else on that, guys? Nope. All right. Moving on. Pick of the week. Because I know Jim is not prepared for this one. Do you want to start, Jim? Yeah. uh, My pick of the week is wait until... Thursday to find out what the hell's going on next week. Yeah, uh, I really, I really don't think anything is worth buying at this point in time because we have literally no information, and they have teased or they they have stressed that there is a lot of information to be had. Ed, uh, uh, one of our listeners actually asked me about it. My pick of the week is actually Glorybringer. Um, we we've kind of hit the the highest point in supply probably like we're probably getting close there like Anakin drafts are still happening obviously but Glorybringer is one of those cards it just flies on the radar um it is a little on the cheap side right now I've heard it a lot but I I do think there's a point in standard where um it, it, it's a perfect mid range card it hits very hard obviously it was much much higher when it first came out there, it's no secret that it's a good card. And basically any card that is 100% busted and limited probably has some sort of constructed application. Um, this just kind of goes in the same vein as like my past like probably like two months of pick of the weeks. Basically just standard staples that I'm kind of looking to squirrel away because they're so cheap. And once Marvel or whatever, uh, when, it, when either rotates or gets banned or whatever, there'll probably just be a huge surge of next second to fill that where you want to be, you'll be holding, like, last week I picked Chandra, uh, Torch of Defiance, I think the week before that I picked Virtus Gear Hulk. Uh, they're like, that's kind of like the sweet spot. Glorybringer is just another kind of card to add to that pile at 2 to $3. You, you, I wouldn't say you can't lose, but I don't ever see it being, like, a bulk rare uh, at any point in time. So uh, Glorybringer is what I'm going to be looking to pick up. And you can probably pick them up for, like, a dollar to $1.50. Uh, like almost um, buy list, that's probably where they'll be. That's like about fifty to sixty percent of TCG. So uh, the people who have the option, great. If not, you can probably pick them up. Lots like you'll see it like draft uh, binders, etc. I have no problem holding on to like a hundred of those until the time is right for them. Jason, I uh, I kind of like waiting. Um, I tend to buy EDH stuff, and I'm not really excited about buying any tribal stuff necessarily uh, until we know sort of what's going to be in those decks. So similar to Patriarch's bidding, I kind of like waiting. And if Mana Echoes is not in any of the decks, I think you pick up Mana Echoes uh, at under 10 because I think that uh, has some upside. But if you think that's sort of a, a lame answer for being like, yeah, buy this in six months. Uh, I like Selvala Stampede at about 10 bucks. It's in Conspiracy 2, a set that nobody's buying. Uh, I think a lot of that stuff's going to tick up, and Selvala Stampede is just really does a lot of work. It's a real Timmy card, and it gives you free creatures, and everybody loves that. So at two bucks, that seems like uh, uh, it's going places. If it were going to be like trash forever, like Regal Behemoth, a card I don't know why everyone doesn't like because it makes people the monarch, uh, it would be like fifty cents right now. 
And since it's crept up to two bucks, I think it's going to keep going. So uh, I think Leovold is, it's going to not maintain its ridiculous price having been banned a lot. So uh, I think some of the other stuff in the set's going to uh, pick up some of the slack. And I think something like Celebala Stampede is a, a great choice going forward. Because, I mean, you look at something like, uh, oh, man, what's the blue one that you take extra turns or stealer stuff? Expropriate. expropriate. Yeah, expropriate is, uh, is sort of a good example of what a card sort of like this can do. Uh, a lot of that stuff that makes your opponents choose is great for EDH. It's a lot of fun. I, I There's a lot to like about Silvala Stampede, even though it's uh, non-mythic. I still think two bucks is too cheap. I really like Kalia, like I said last week. Um, she really hasn't dropped that much in the U.S. In Japan, if you want to play the Arbitrage game, you can get her for 25 and sell her for 33 TCG low. You'll make, like, nothing right now, but it might be a good long-term hold. Um, other than that, uh, anything out of the Commander reprints, I really like just holding on. I picked up a stack of Awakening Zones after the... Planes Chase reprint or whatever it was for like 50 cents each, and I think those will go back up over time as well. Yeah, from beyond so too. That's, I'm looking at. I like both of those cards. Uh, it's finally going to rotate. We'll see what happens. Uh, Conduit of Rune is another one that's completely based off casual demand that has traction on the buy list that you're probably going to see a lot of in collections that bulk when people are trying to trade or sell with you. Uh, that card's actually worth something. Same with Desolation Twin. So those are two that I would look at. Um, that being Con said, yeah, yeah go. go no, I was gonna say, kind of what it ruins a card that people don't even read. Yeah, like, it's, a, it's they don't even good. know what it does, but it's actually quite good. Yep. Um, so where can people find you guys? As much as I'd love to continue this, I have to make my flight, which leaves in an hour. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Edwin13. Uh, I'll be at the Tokyo MTG booth this weekend. I will be uh, in Australia the following weekend. Um, I have a quick shout-out to Jason H. Uh, he purchased some cards for me. He also added a dollar to Doctors Without Borders, uh, the charity that we're doing this weekend. So uh, really appreciate that. Uh, anyone who doesn't know, uh, we like Jeremy talked about briefly, come find any one of us uh, during Vegas. Uh Take a selfie, post it myself. Uh, I will donate $1 to Doctors Without Borders, and I have five other people matching that donation at this point. So that's $6 to Doctors Without Borders uh, for every one selfie that people are willing to give up like a minute of their time for. So thanks again for everyone who is doing that. Thanks, Jason. Uh, really appreciate that. Jason? Uh, I'm all over. I've been called EDH Ryan Seacrest because I uh, am the content manager on EDHREC.com. I write an EDH article for Gathering Magic. I write an EDH finance article for MTGPrice.com. I'm a member of the Brainstorm Brewery Finance Podcast, the Money Draft Lifestyle Podcast, and I tweet at Jason E. Alt. Uh, you can find me in Las Vegas, not behind a booth. I'll be on the good side of the booth selling cards that I can use to play craps. So, uh... Vegas is going to be great. If you see me, uh, come get a selfie. Jeremy will donate a dollar to Medicine Sans Frontier because, uh, like magic, the world should be without Frontier. That was pretty good. Jim? 
My name is Jim Casale. You can find me at on Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find me on Gathering Magic every other week. You can find me in the great state of Nevada next week in Las Vegas. And uh, normally you can find me in Orlando. It's not a great state. I wouldn't visit if it didn't have to. Uh, my name is Zemet. You can find me in the great state of Missouri, except for uh, this week where I'll be in Vegas. Uh, I'll be at all the content creation parties probably this week. Um, we want to thank you guys for this lovely dinner in Vegas that we're going to have. Uh, means a lot to us, except Travis cheaped out and didn't want to uh, go to the $600 per person dinner. So we are eating at a must, much less renowned uh, restaurant. So you guys can blame Travis for that. Uh, but yeah, we appreciate everything. If you guys want to say hi to us any of the days or meet with the whole cast to ask us questions on Saturday afternoon, just let us know. Uh, Jason, thanks for coming on as always. And um, that'll be it for this one, guys. Thanks for listening to Cartel Aristocrats number 58. Sorry about the technical issues, and we'll see you guys in a week and a half.